Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I'm Ben, and we want to start this in a little bit of a different format today. At the very top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very important correction. Can you guess what it is? It's a single vocabulary word. <laughs> it is. It's a very important one, too. Five syllables. <laughs> It is not, in fact, prelapsarian. That means before the flood. That's a different word. It's antediluvian. Prelapsarian means before the fall. Uh, you know, in other words, before the fall of Lucifer and the various rebellious angels in biblical lore. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. This was on me. This is just on me, guys, not on Matt or Noel. And I'm grateful for everyone who wrote in to help me out with this doof. I caught it too late as we were as we were QAing and stuff. And and we, uh, Matt, Noel, and I often like to point out that you, our listeners, not a general you, specifically you, are not just as much of a part of the show as we are. You are the most important part of the show. And we, all of us, are incredibly lucky to have you here, specifically you, helping us make this show the best thing it can be. Just a little peek behind the curtain. QAing is when we, uh, we all listen to the edit. So make sure that Noel didn't miss anything, uh, any, any goofs. So, you know, there are layers of, 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 uh, of blame to go around. And I am uh, first to admit my part in this. Um, I was going to say, if y'all only knew how many things get through my watch. Uh, well, that implies process. that I let a lot of things get through, Matt. So, you, well, you yeah, that's that. what I'm saying. Okay. I'm like all the time. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. It's not your fault. It is my fault. You have to edit while you're recording. No, that's not true. Well, okay. It's always true. We're taking all this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's keep it in. Uh, 
the point the point being here is that you keep us honest. We try our best, and, and I personally rely on you to help us stay accurate. We, Matt, Noel, and I, and you are accountable to each other. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. We appreciate it immensely. And everybody was so, like, very supportive, mm-hmm. too, you know, and, and that even more so I appreciate. I know. I love that they took that tone of, like, you poor idiots. <laughs> Bless your little hearts. <laughs> Mixing up words. I thought y'all had the best words. It turns out you did not. <laughs> well, Every one of those one. emails we read in mm. that little southern uh, lady voice. So yeah. just so y'all know, that's how you sound to us, no matter who you are. <laughs> we have a list of words we uh, say to ourselves before we read the email to help us get in that genteel southern mm-hmm. approach. Mm, a delicious mint juleps. Oh, Jessup. Good gravy. You are, you are mixing up some, uh, <laughs> yeah. sense there. Well, that's how I do it though. You have well, to, you have to let them kind of combine together. I, we like to have fun. Yeah. And you're an award winning method actor. So you really live in the characters. You know, actually, as it turns out today, we're talking about an entire agency staffed with award winning method actors. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about the studio audience of inside the actor's studio. Right. So. Let's explore today. We're talking about a much, much more powerful group, one that affects your life, again, specifically you, in profound, immense, and often invisible ways. It's an organization that you support, that you pay for with a percentage of every paycheck you receive if you are an American citizen or, heck, even a resident, a group that may know almost everything about you, a group that is not, unlike this show, accountable to you. Even if you're one of the people paying for it, and you've probably heard the name of this group before. The NSA, or National Security Agency. It sounds so nice. Who doesn't want to be secure? Today, whether you live in a foreign country or the good old U.S. of A, we guarantee this organization may know an immense amount of stuff about you, and it probably has dirt on numerous government officials as well. So how did we get here? Well, let's take a look at the history. So while the NSA was officially founded on November 4th, 1954, its roots go much, much further back, all the way to 1917. And that's when a man named Herbert O. Yardley became the head of this newly created thing called the Cipher Bureau of Military Intelligence, which is just a wonderful name. I feel like we should have stayed with that the entire way through. <laughs> People would get cyber and cipher mixed up now. Oh, yeah, I guess it's true, but Cypher Bureau. Cypher Bureau, it's yeah. It's a comic book. It does sound like a comic book. It's very Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was just three months or so after the United States had declared war on Germany. One of the major factors that brought the U.S. into the war was a thing called the Zimmerman Telegram. And that's a situation where the foreign secretary of Germany tried to get Mexico to enter into war against the United States. But British codebreakers intercepted the message and they told their friends in the U.S., you know, they said, oh, the Yanks should probably hear of this, (laughs) which is apparently how they sound. Uh, And uh, the government finally acknowledged, the U.S. government acknowledged the value of what is called signals intelligence. That's correct. By the way, we're speaking about World War One there when talking right. about going to war with Germany. Yes, yes. Uh, so signals intelligence. We're, we're, we've all seen spy movies. We're familiar with the idea of intelligence, which in some cases may seem paradoxical. According to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, there are six types of intelligence sources or what they call collection disciplines. Now we'll list these off along with their – uh, shorthand, sort of an acronym, I guess. Um, not quite an acronym, no. Just shorthand, that's better. So first we have imagery intelligence, which is, I'm going to pronounce it, I meant. <laughs> but I think imment, maybe? I don't know. Uh, then we have measurement and signature intelligent, or massent. Next we have human source intelligence, or humant. Then we have open source intelligent, OSINT. And geospatial intelligence, geoint. And then the first two that we mentioned, communications intelligent, comment, uh, no comment, and electronic intelligence, elent, elent, perhaps. And then we have foreign instrumentation signals intelligent, my personal favorite, 
Fissent. Yes. yes. And those, those three, Comment, Illint, and Fissent, are all under the umbrella of SIGINT, Signals Intelligence. And that essentially just means the interception from signals, whether those be electronic communication, maybe uh, shortwave radio interceptions all around the world, foreign and domestic. And SIGINT can be any of those three things on their own or a combination of any any of those three. Yeah. Is there communication occurring via a signal? Uh, we need to hear it. Right. And so these other things, uh, the, these other things we're mentioning, like human source intelligence is what a lot of people think of when they think of spy movies. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, Noel goes and sits on a park bench at 1203. Someone sits with their back to them and says, you know, the proper code phrase, which, what would that be, Matt? The cranberry sauce was quite fragrant last afternoon. It was indeed. And they, <laughs> that's they, it. That's like, <laughs> yeah, they just agreed in that, in that kind of human, uh, environment with, you know, who knows? They maybe just agreed to an arms deal. The cranberry <laughs> sauce is, is the target. Yeah. Uh, and the fragrancy, like the amount of fragrancy. That's, that's, that's the state of, of the, like the condition that's like, you know, uh, conducive to doing the deal. That is the affirmative of like yeah. target is prepped and ready for interception. Yeah. We're all just pulling this out of our ears, but it's, you know, <laughs> which is also pretty fragrant. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> hey, you guys, I actually had the, uh, the pleasure of, um, going to the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. this past weekend. Oh, oh that's right. And, yeah. Yeah. They had a whole section with, um, all of these amazing, like, iterations of various intelligence gathering devices, you know, a main one being tape recorders. Mm-hmm. And it never, never really occurred to me that, like, the same companies that make tape machines now still that they use in film and, you know, that have now got versions that are electronic, digital rather. Mm-hmm. Are the ones who made the best tape machines that they would use that could conceal and they got progressively smaller and smaller. The first ones that would be like these, you know, about the size of a laptop, but obviously much thicker. And you would have to put it inside a big giant uh, suitcase yeah. to be that guy on the park bench. And then they would have a little wire that would run up a coat and through your sleeve. And that would be the remote control, a little clicky button to stop uh, and start yeah, the recording. Yeah. And then the microphone would often be hooked up into a wristwatch. So the wristwatch would have the mic in it and the cord would have to go all the way up up from the suitcase mm-hmm. through your coat down around then up your sleeve and then plug into your wristwatch you know obviously just consumer electronics nowadays are much more concealable and higher quality than that um but it was fascinating to see the way they progressed to these tiny um little they almost look like micro cassette recorders mm-hmm. but yeah. they still are ultimately real to real um What's the name of Nagra? Nagra was a company and they, they're still around. In fact, they make really, really high end, um, field recording devices that are used in film and, and television, um, you know, sound yeah. recording. So that was super cool. Uh, not to go too far off track, but they had a whole section with like concealed weapons, mm-hmm. one of which was like an umbrella that you could shoot a poison dart out of by like, you know, doing the umbrella mechanism and it kind of had a cross section of it, but super, super fun. Uh, you know, uh, I was in D.C. for uh, another show that I work on and was there the day of the inauguration and uh, walked around the National Mall by myself and actually posted some a couple good creepy pics on the uh, Stuff They Don't Want You To Know Instagram account. So if you want to check those out. Conspiracy uh, stuff show. Conspiracy stuff show. Um, but let's get back to uh, Intel. Ah, yes. We, uh, I'd love to go to that museum in person. It was really, really, really cool. neat. I recommend it anyone that's in the DC area. It's right uh, by the Gordon Biersch. So you can go over there and get you a sausage platter and then, <laughs> uh, check out some, some, you know, spy craft. And, and also yeah. check out our interview with Robert Mazur where he discusses his whole setup that he oh, had. Oh, yeah. It's very that's similar right. to what you're describing with a big tape recorder inside a briefcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and previous audio podcast and, while we're talking about history, uh, let's go back to 1919 when the war ended. The Cypher Bureau moved all the way up to New York City. I always am going to remember that salsa commercial whenever I say New York City. Every time. Advertising is insidious. New York City! 
And they shift. That was very forceful. It's much more of a New York City. Oh, I guess you're right. I thought they got angry. Like he got more and more angry. As it depends on which. Made. It was a very successful ad campaign. El Paso. Pace Picante. Pace Picante. If you ever feel like wasting your time on YouTube, go check those out. And then also stay for that Egyptian uh, panda commercial for cheese. That's my favorite. And that has nothing to do with the Cypher Bureau uh, because in 1922, uh, they they had shifted from 1919-1922 from military intelligence, where the tanks were the planes, to diplomatic intelligence. And in 22, they proved their worth because they served, they intercepted Japanese communications that helped American diplomats negotiate with Japan on naval arms limitations. But the thing was, even at this point, the Cypher Bureau's methods were always questionable. Mm -hmm. And if the public had been more aware, they probably would have noticed that these are uh, technically illegal or, you know, everything the public knows would indicate these are illegal. And we've heard a lot of uh, – let me just paint this picture and tell me if this sounds familiar – the Cypher Bureau, working for the federal government, made a deal with private telegraph companies, you know, Western Union and the like. And these companies gave the Cypher Bureau unprecedented access to messages entering and exiting the United States, all telegrams. And the Secretary of State, Henry Stimson, closed the agency in 1929, and he thought he had some moral issues with the increasing surveillance, but then also – it's pretty expensive at that time to pay off these companies, right? Even if they are making what they feel is a patriotic decision and to have the, just the people power to tr- double or, you know, copy every single message that goes in or out of their systems, read every telegram. Uh, ultimately the Hoover administration wouldn't see the need for peacetime surveillance like why do we have this if there's not a war why are we monitoring this and we don't have any active enemies then why are we wasting all this money and it's seductive to have that much power you know so we'd like to think they saw the danger of this agency uh monitoring all citizens in peacetime after the end of the cyber bureau Cypher Bureau. Every time. <laughs> it's, Every it's time. I'm just going to call it the Bureau. The cyber, man. The cyber is tough. <laughs> cyber is tough. No. Uh, after, after the end of that era, Yardley, the man we mentioned at the beginning, was not only out of a job, he was very, very bitter. And in 1931, he published a book called The American Black Chamber. And this was the first time that much of the public knew the activities and exploits of the Bureau. The Saturday Evening Post published an excerpt, and the thing is, not only was the public and Saturday Evening Post readership uh, astounded and mm-hmm. no small part uh, terror terrified, uh, the intelligence community was also having a gigantic WTF moment. Sure. So the founding father of American surveillance, in many ways, you'll you'll hear this quote around. I was going to say around town, you'll hear this quote around this topic. The founding father of American surveillance also became its first traitor. Now, by the time he published this book, it was already out of date on American spy programs. That's because five months before the end of the Cypher Bureau, before they closed it down back in May of 1929, the United States Army decided that it was going to start up its own version of an agency of this sort, its own independent uh, let's say State Department spy agency. Right. So, and, uh, its own military intelligence instead of diplomatic. Yes. And in 1930, William Friedman began building this thing called the Signal Intelligence Service or SIS. SIS. <laughs> it's a sweeter name. Not quite as, you know, comic booky as the Cypher Bureau, but it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. So it's unclear really to what extent the end of the Cypher Bureau, um, like how that went into the birth of this new agency, mm-hmm. like uh, because it ended, was this one created or was this one created uh, 
and that one killed off simultaneously? Like, was right. that the thinking? Right. Well, you know, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. <laughs> oh, man, it's a window. A door was closed and a window was opened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in October uh, 1929, Friedman did go to New York and obtain all of the files of the Cipher Bureau. So whether or not they were related bureaucratically mm-hmm. in terms of archives and content, they were – even more uh comprehensive. Wait, wait, so he, was he sent or was he just like unilaterally like, I'm going to have that. Give me those files. I'm going to do whatever I want. They with had them. to be sent. I yeah. mean, that the power of the Cypher Bureau's library at that point is pretty significant. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. You you have to. It's It's kind of like in our human experimentation episodes, we discuss how it is scary and terrible the way some of that information is obtained and mm-hmm. the way the experiments are carried out and in the same way with the cipher bureau it's things that are looked down upon by the public and perhaps even by some government agencies but you have the information and do you just let it rot right. and go away or do you use it to build this new thing it's, that's a that's a very good comparison it's already sort of a sunk cost at this point and we're not even to world war ii no so sis big sis expanded rapidly in the 1930s uh, and opened bases to help it concentrate on the Pacific theater. So Alaska, China, Australia. And this was in response to the expansion of the Japanese empire. During World War II, SIS uh, played a crucial role in helping to crack some of these Japanese codes. After the war, President Truman reorganized the uh, the entire American pursuit of this sort of intelligence under something he called the National Security Agency. In 1957, the NSA moved to Fort Meade in Maryland. It began as a secret organization uh, in many ways. I mean, they're keepers of intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it was half-jokingly referred to by a lot of people as uh, n- not National Security Agency, but no such agency. Mm-hmm. No agency here. And uh, growing up, my father had a had a running joke with within his his field where it's a, such a bad joke. Do you guys want to hear it? I do want to hear it. I live for your bad jokes, Ben. Well, let's uh, let, 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 let's the joke. So, okay. so the uh, the old joke that people would tell all around these various circles, right? Was uh, how can you tell the extrovert at the NSA? One in the elevator looking at someone else's shoes. It's that bad. It's what I'm passes for humor it. in those circles. Hold on, I'm trying to get it though. Oh, okay. Because they're all they're so they're extroverted be, that they're so looking at introverted the shoes. that they're all staring yes. at their own shoes. And <laughs> that is their form of reaching out. Yeah, like is to look at the other shoes. I said it was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, I think it, I think it's appropriate. Yeah, it works. Man, I guess you you have to be in those circles to go. Ha ha! Yes, you got to be in an elevator with a bunch of NSA agents. Oh man, I no, don't put me in there. You know, I would like to avoid that. So this made the uh, the NSA grew to a peak of more than ninety thousand employees in sixty nine. This made it the largest intelligence organization in the U.S. and possibly in the world. Ninety thousand people known known. Oh, good call. So the NSA did contribute valuable intelligence that helped the U.S. anticipate uh, several things, especially during the Cold War, like the foundation of the Berlin Wall, the Cuban Missile Crisis. But they weren't always successful. In 1964, the NSA was considered largely responsible for the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which drew the U.S. into the Vietnam War. They say it was faulty intelligence. They say, you know what? Not everybody gets everything right all the time. But the big question here is whether or not it was truly faulty, the intelligence they had, or was it something else? And what are they up to today? Well, I feel as though these things are all ripe for exploration. But first, a word from our sponsor. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall. 
and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it gonna, like that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So the NSA today, what are its goals? What is its purpose? What is it doing with all that stuff it has on you? Again, specifically you. That's and it. I hear you ask, Ben. Aren't those the fellas what listen to my phone calls? <laughs> yes. Ask and uh, ye shall receive the answer. Uh, they are the people who run the computers that listen to the phone calls. And if the certain conditions are met, yeah, there will be a person on there. I do declare if I have nothing to hide, <laughs> I have nothing to hide. And you can rifle through my phone calls. Hibbity pibbity. <laughs> See you, ladies and gentlemen. We told you. Matt, it's got to crack it up here. Part of it's the costume. <laughs> Part of it's also the nerve gas that's slowly filling up this chamber mm-hmm. um, that the uh, the NSA is clearly yeah. deploying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it. before they cut us off, uh, before we pass out, officially, the National Security Agency slash Central Security Service leads the U.S. government in cryptology that encompasses signals intelligence and information assurance products and services and enables computer network operations uh, to gain what they call a decision advantage for the nation and its allies under all circumstances. That gobbledygook in in English uh, means that they're both receiving intelligence and they're making sure that it's real. So it's not incorrect or purposefully misleading. And then they're, uh, they're networking computers together so that the U.S. and the U.S.'s friends, mm-hmm. the rest of Five Eyes or whatever, will all have the best information going into any sort of any sort of geopolitical situation. Yeah, ultimately to to gain a decision advantage. Right, right. And did you notice that part about the uh, air quotes central security service? No, I missed that part. That's a tricky thing that uh, a lot of like I missed as well. 
The Central Security Service affiliated here includes elements of the armed forces that that perform code making and code breaking work with the NSA. This was established in 1972, and the NSA director is also the chief of the CSS. So members of the CSS work side by side with the NSA around the world. And we do mean literally around the world so that there's not as much of a barrier between civilian code cracking and military code cracking. Sort of an efficient way to uh, to streamline efforts and get the most bang for your cryptographic buck. Essentially, think of these folks almost as intelligence agencies embedded in the armed forces. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's the official goal. Decision advantage. So – if it's just collecting information, making sure that information, whatever it is, is accurate, how do they use it? They use it for multiple purposes, from assisting in trade negotiations, you know, so let's say Matt is an ambassador, gets a hot tip from the NSA uh, right before he goes in to negotiate some sort of deal about tea in China or okay. whatever, uh, then he knows essentially insider information or something that – You've got leverage. You've got leverage, Exactly. But then it also can go down to what to blow up when. And it's mm-hmm. a dirty job, but it would be disingenuous to not admit it's one of the prime reasons that the U.S. achieved hege- – became a hegemony, mm-hmm. you know. The most powerful of the nations currently. <laughs> for 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 yeah. the moment. For the moment. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you guys feel that chill um, that went through the room? <laughs> I, I really did. That's and the nerve gas, y'all. <laughs> I noticed that – are we dripping? Is there something dripping up here? Because – oh, I feel like we have been invaded by some kind of foreign – uh, intelligence here with this water that doth drip down. Are you kidding? Oh my goodness. Okay. Right you are. Yeah. All right. You guys, <laughs> this isn't good. The NSA is a floor above us and it's poisoning the roof of our building. It's right around the, uh, the valve for the fire, um, system. Yeah. Sprinkler system. Was that that siren that was going off? Did anybody else hear that? I just, just I'm, now. Well, I'm usually actively hallucinating, so I didn't know. I don't, I still don't know the best way to check. <laughs> Put your arms up and go. <laughs> like we Just have to uh, arm spin a top. Uh-huh. And if it stays spinning, then you know you're hallucinating. Uh, if it falls down, then. Yep. But if the camera cuts away before it falls, then you don't know. Yeah, you'll never know. What would I do without you guys? Well, uh, before we drown or die from nerve gas, uh, we should mention that the NSA is full of controversies. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Historical controversies. We mentioned the Gulf of Tonkin already. It's commonly it's it's commonly acknowledged outside of the U.S. by various organizations as a false flag operation, and that would be someone purposefully pretending to be an enemy to create the circumstances uh, for their own aggression. Mm-hmm. Right. So then something becomes a war of defense or retaliation rather than. Uh, an invasion. It helps to make the populace agree with the reason for going to war. Another one would be uh, the U.S. Senate when they formed the Church Committee in 1975 to oh. investigate possible abuses by the NSA as well as the CIA, FBI, IRS. Uh, this went on for nine months. Uh, the committee chair, Frank Church, who was a military intelligence officer at one time in his life, got kind of freaked out by their tremendous surveillance ability. And uh, he has a great quotation here uh, from the New York Times in 1975. That capability at any time could be turned around on the American people, and no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything. Telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. And boy, was it ever turned around on the American people. <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like we're living in a time where because of various leaks, Mr. Snowden and the like, we are painfully aware that this technology is in and fact, has and has been used on us. And at the same time, as as outraged as many of us are, a whole lot of us also very willingly participate uh, in feeding 
this beast by giving our own personal information out higgity piggity as matt would mm-hmm. say uh <laughs> via various social media networks i mean it's it's Just like turning on location services turning on, on location services like we are exchanging the convenience of being able to know that there's a, a burger king uh nearby for basically 24 seven monitoring mm-hmm. and you know again as matt said earlier in his delightful voice uh we many people feel like they have nothing to hide so who cares and honestly i'm one of those people you guys are not so much you guys both have the tape over your phone i'm 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 just like what am i what are you gonna do what are you gonna see me doing i'm i'm very boring i know that's not the point but <laughs> it is kind of how i justify it because mm-hmm. i like all the, the tech the technologies yeah, and there's a larger conversation. The concept of privacy as we understand it is fairly recent in the span of human civilization. And I've heard you, Ben, before say that you feel like uh, further down the line, privacy will be not a right at all. It will be a luxury afforded only to the super rich. Yes, I do believe what – I won't get on a soapbox quite yet. Well, okay, you know what? No, we're halfway there. Let's just walk up the box. So. What we are facing as a country and as a species is not so much the end of privacy or the erosion of privacy, but the rise of an inequality in privacy. This means that, just as Noel said, the one of the most precious resources of the future may be the ability to have an unmonitored thought. Will that happen within our lifetimes? That's a tough call to make. But do you want to live in a world where based on your income or your family, you may or may not have the privilege of holding your thoughts to yourself? It's a, it's a scary question. And uh, some of these past controversies have just been, have been escalating to the point where that's less and less of a matter of science fiction. Now I know that sounds alarmist. And to a degree it is, but it is not as impossible as it was just a few decades ago. Well, again, let me read this quote again one more time. That capability at any time could be turned around on the American people and no American would have any privacy left. Such is the capability to monitor everything. It doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. Yeah. I mean, that's that about sums it up. Unless you can encrypt things really, really efficiently. Which might be a possibility, right? Great point. Uh, That's another controversy. The Data Encryption Standard, or DES, it's an algorithm developed by IBM in the early 1970s to encrypt sensitive electronic data. By the late 1970s, it had become the worldwide standard. Everybody was into this. It was the new – it was like when Pokemon Go first came out, (laughs) Uh, but with encryption. That didn't work. I think it's fairly obvious I don't play Pokemon Go. All the spies are running around. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, okay. So what happened is some civilians who were affiliated with this movement alleged that the NSA had really become involved in the development of the algorithm and they convinced IBM to change some things, to shorten the key, to make it possible for the NSA to decipher every message. And it keeps going. In 1999, the BBC reported a story that they said sounded like science fiction. They claimed that the NSA, along with partner agencies in the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, operated a worldwide surveillance network capable of intercepting every international phone call, fax, and email. This was called Project Echelon. The US, Canada, and the UK still deny it officially. But Australia and New Zealand, officials there, say that it is a real thing. And warrantless surveillance went mainstream uh, under some previous presidential administrations, uh, I believe Bush. uh, But it's existed since the days of the Black Chamber. And then, of course, the bomb that dropped, which uh, Noel mentioned, was when Edward Snowden revealed PRISM. That was a crazy day. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember? We were in the office. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy day. We're not going to, we of all people are not going to judge you, ladies and gentlemen, but we would say that uh, at this point, 
think very carefully before sending inappropriate pictures to your friends. Or even taking inappropriate pictures with something that's connected to the internet. Right. Or even taking appropriate pictures. <laughs> Be careful. Oh boy. Yeah. Some things can come back to haunt you. So here's where it gets crazy though. Legislation passed uh, quite recently in the final days of uh, President Obama's administration um, and also passed relatively quietly. Uh, you may not have heard of it because it was sort of slipped in under the radar, but here's here's how it went down uh, and why it's important. From the New York Times, the NSA can now, quote, share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intelligence agencies before applying privacy protections. Hmm. Yeah, so the way it used to work until now, the way it used to work is that the NSA would do some things to protect American citizens' privacy. So they could share intelligence about something happening, but not you know necessarily attach it to Matt Frederick, who is just a, a guy who happened to be on the conference call and didn't do anything has no idea you know of uh, has no nefarious plans because you'd be dealing with ip addresses mm -hmm. and uh, numbers and so now what's happened again very very recently is that these new rules significantly relax those limits now the surveillance operations are beyond wiretapping regulations and they're shipping out raw data. So they're shipping out the data with your personal information. And again, of course, there's the old idea of, you know, well, why should I be worried? I'm not, I'm not moving, you know, I'm not illegally smuggling iguanas in and out of, uh, the Ozarks. I don't know much about the iguana smuggling tree. Nobody I, does. <laughs> it's a racket. It's a racket. Uh, so there's not going to be any warrant necessary. There's not any privacy baked into it. And perhaps more importantly, there's no real oversight. Uh, this, this raw intelligence it shares, uh, is derived from mass surveillance under executive order 12333. And that's been in effect since 1981. This raw intelligence would be stuff like emails, phone calls, not just the metadata of the phone calls, not just Noel called this number at 3.42 p.m. or something. Which, as we know, can be very, very useful in and of itself. But yeah. taking it to the next level, mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty much godlike. Yeah, they're not minimized. They're not redacted to mask identifying information. Previously, the NSA filtered this stuff before they shared it with, you know, the CIA or the FBI or the DEA. And the analysts at the NSA, who are very, very intelligent people, uh, passed on information only if they deemed it pertinent. And they could tell if someone's innocent, usually. Yeah. Uh, but because of the way – so this is supposed to be foreign communication, right? But here's the scary thing. Because of the way the internet works, you might be surprised at how much of your personal communication activity counts as foreign communication. Like let's let's think about it this way. All right. Okay. Uh, if you imagine our office, Matt, you and Noel sit uh, relatively close to each other. Yeah, just right? just across the room. Yeah, you're literally like maybe 12 feet from each other, uh, 15 feet. And Matt's really busy on something, so he sends Noel an email. By the time the email travels to Noel's inbox, it might have gone to a server across the country or even outside of the country before landing with him. So that young Pope meme that you just sent became foreign communication, which makes it fair game for the NSA. And I thought you would appreciate a young Pope shout out. Oh, thanks, buddy. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm still excited to. You uh, still haven't seen it yet? No. <laughs> I like the concept of it, though, Matt. Well, yeah, it's uh, we don't have to get into more young Pope stuff. This is not a young Pope cast. <laughs> young Pope cast? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yes, but I, I watched it. I watched some of it. Well, since we've derailed the conversation yet again, should we go ahead and break for a sponsor? You approve? Sounds great. Good. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. 
Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zikazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. So there we are. There we are. An innocent meme has traveled around the world between two innocent people. And because it's traveled around, it now counts as foreign communication, which means that now the FBI, the CIA, the whole Uncle Sam alphabet can check it out. If Matt has accidentally or purposefully included certain words or phrases, or if he has already been flagged as someone to keep an eye on, then the U.S. may also share it with the other Five Eyes countries, the echelons. And years later, on vacation, Matt might just land at the airport in Australia to be refused entry. And he might never know exactly why. I got put on a no-fly list and nobody even told me about it. (laughs) We're not saying this will happen, but we are saying that right now the scary thing is there's not a solid way for someone to tell if abuse occurs. And the definition of foreign communication is even more deceptive. Uh, Check out this this great quote from Slate. Foreign intelligence is really a catch-all that can include most anything happening abroad. Executive Order 12333 defines it as information relating to the capabilities, intentions, and activities of foreign powers, organizations, or persons. Don't let the, quote, organizations or persons part of that definition hide behind the more important-seeming term foreign powers. Exactly. This definition means that quote-unquote foreign intelligence includes speech about political and human rights activities. So if you send an email uh, as part of a nonprofit thing to free a political prisoner, uh, it can include stuff impacting the economy. Uh, One of the great examples that Slate has is what about an email that talks about a business trip to Europe to get the finest French chocolate for your cookies? Then that would qualify yeah, technically. And there's one last note here. William Binney, who we have mentioned on the show before, is one of the highest level whistleblowers to ever come from the NSA. Yeah, man. 
He was a leading code breaker against the Soviet Union in the Cold War, but after the events of September 11th, he resigned. He saw that, in his opinion, Washington was moving toward mass surveillance, and it disgusted him on a profound level. Mass surveillance of its own people. Right. On July 5th, 2014, he spoke in London at the Center for Investigative Journalism and revealed that people in general had no idea about the scope of these programs under the uh, their growth under the President Bush and President Obama administrations. In his quote, he says, at least 80 percent of fiber optic cables globally go via the U.S., this is no accident and allows the U.S. to view all communication coming in. At least 80% of all audio calls, not just metadata, are recorded and stored in the U.S. The NSA, Benny said, lies about what it stores. No. And he said that the ultimate goal of the NSA, we talked about the official goals, all understandable, said the ultimate goal is about total population control. And it's disturbing. Wow. Yeah, it's disturbing because it means the information gathered on people could be used to theoretically suppress dissent. Let's say you're a senator and you're gunning to stop programs like these. You got elected on this as your mm -hmm. main platform. And all of a sudden you receive notice, subtle notice, that your past indiscretions, perhaps ideological or sexual or financial or something else, will be made painfully public if you persist in this mission, if you pursue this line of investigation, what would you do, ladies and gentlemen? So blackmail, huh? Yeah. yeah. That seems like a good way to use this information. Well, it looks like we're going to find out how people answer that question, perhaps sooner than we all would like to think. We are, to be completely clear, in no way saying that we have proof this has occurred. We don't, the three of us have not found an example of a senator who was out gunning for the NSA and then got some weird, you know, compromising photos and then turned off the search or anything. But we're saying with this increasing move, with this move, it's increasingly possible. It'll be interesting to see how Donald Trump's seeming animosity um, that between himself and the intelligence community, there's no animosity. There's definitely animosity. No, no. Did you not see his speech? Yeah, it doesn't exist. Not a thing. Well, I, I maybe let's say between the intelligence agencies and the president. I kid you guys. I mean, he clearly had a little bit of a, a Twitter feud with the CIA and the NSA. I mean, about he accused them of. Having shoddy intelligence when finding weapons of mass destruction and things like that, you know. I mean, I'm I'm interested to see how that relationship plays out. <laughs> sure, it goes to a, it goes to a larger conversation, uh, of course, about what the deep state is. You know, who holds the reins of power and who functions more in a, in a figurehead uh, manner. And I'm not, of course, saying that. Uh, the president or any president is uh, necessarily a figurehead. I am saying that there are groups of unelected people who wield tremendous amounts of power. And also in defense of the NSA, to be absolutely fair, the NSA has done immense amounts of work and successfully accomplished intelligence goals for the United States. I just want to put this out there. This may be an obvious thing to, to many listeners, but a big difference between the NSA and the CIA is that the NSA, they don't have field operatives. You're, yeah, you're not, you're not going to see an NSA age or an NSA squad, you know, like kicking down a door right. or something. And mm -hmm. we are, as Matt said, and we're in a very fascinating and unpredictable time. It's quite possible. That within a few months, this podcast could need an update, uh, at which case we will endeavor to do so. But for now, as always, whether or not an organization like this exists, whether or not you are concerned or unconcerned about the, the state of surveillance, think very carefully about what you put out there. It's not just a black box. The stuff does not disappear. And if you have uh, information that 
you would like to share if you're affiliated with the NSA. Remember how we used to always joke about if the NSA was monitoring us, it it had to be some poor, unfortunate intern? Yeah, I'm painfully familiar with that intern. (laughs) That poor guy. Oh, buddy, I hope if you're listening, I hope things are all right. He's seen me at my worst. (laughs) Uh, Joking joking aside, um, the stuff they don't want you to know here is perhaps the extent of the monitoring that is occurring. And it is not a theory. It is happening. So let us know what you think. We would uh, would like to hear your opinions on the NSA. We'd like to hear if it's um, a bunch of, you know, alarmist ado about nothing. Higgity-piggity, if you will. That's true. <laughs> yes. So Higgity-piggity. Or should people be concerned? And speaking of listener mail... Shout out corners. Today's first shout out goes to Miguel. Miguel says you guys should make a video on Seth Rich, a person who worked for the DNC who was randomly murdered when someone tried to rob him but took nothing at the end. WikiLeaks said someone leaked the information of the DNC and it wasn't Russian hackers, but the news went with Russian hack just the same. Uh, the guy who ran against Debbie Wasserman Schultz Tim Canova made a video talking about the situation, and he didn't seem convinced it was a robbery gone wrong. Are either of you fellas familiar with this uh, incident? Oh, yes. Very familiar with Seth Rich. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's an interview with Julian Assange where he discusses – he doesn't say Seth Rich was or wasn't uh, the source of the leaks from the DNC, but I, I would say if you watch it very closely, it seems – Perhaps that he's leaning in that way without saying it. Yeah, it's interesting. I read about this story when it first emerged, but sadly, there are apparently a lot of unexplained murders that have been happening or deaths that have been happening in the past decade or so. I always remember the British intelligence officer who apparently committed suicide by uh, what shooting himself and zipping himself into a bag. That was locked on the outside. That's what I would do. (laughs) We talked about that. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to dig into this and and thank you so much for writing. Our next message comes from Eric. Says, hey guys, I was listening to your podcast about Grimoire and I was surprised that you didn't mention the Malleus Maleficarum. Is that how you say that? The Witch's Hammer. That's how I know it. Witch's Hammer. (laughs) It was a text published in 1486 on how to identify and interrogate witches. That is good information to know. Always have that information with you. Uh, I went to school at California State University, Long Beach, and they have the, they have an original edition uh, from that year when it was published. Uh, in their special collections archive. Anyone can go to the special collections and actually sit down with the text and look through it. It makes your skin crawl just looking at it. Does it have a big, bald, green lady witch face that pops out of the spine? I don't know about that, but there are sections that are underlined with notes in the margins that could have been made by interrogators. Just thought if there were listeners in Southern California, they might want the chance to go and see something like that in person. Thanks. Keep up the good work, Eric. Ooh. Thanks for writing, Eric. It seems like we're off to California. Yeah. Uh, Noel, you and I had talked a little bit about some of these different grimoires off air when we were kind of talking about what makes something a grimoire. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we went back and forth on some of this because one of the, one of the questions would be, is it just a collection of perhaps lore? Yeah. Pagan text or something more of, um, uh, a compilation or is it anything related to magical signs? And if this was written for the purposes of witch hunts, mm-hmm. still count as a grimoire. And I was, after we were off the air, I was reading intensely in that. And I, I appreciate you writing in Eric, because I want us to travel to Southern California. What do you think guys? I'm yes. all about some travels. Mm-hmm. Hey, would a science textbook be considered a grimoire in the future, perhaps where maybe we've lost some of what some of these scientific experiments that are now uh, we would consider normal and regular now? Wow. Something as simple as using baking soda to make a volcano. 
Oh, wow. Like, but then it's magic again if we've lost that knowledge. Well, there's a book that tells you it's a spell of how to do it. And that was the thing that I was saying is like what constitutes a grimoire is largely determined by what you consider to be magic, right? Mm, that's a very good point. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching there, but it just feels to me like you could be absolutely right. It could be a collection of procedural, mm-hmm. you know, steps to create a battery you know, oh my god yeah. that's magic yeah, right there exactly mm-hmm. exactly i don't know i i think it's interesting the way we interpret the contents and the uh intent yeah that's great so in that case if there was someone who considered themselves a practicing magician or someone who considered themselves uh adept at witchcraft and they were using this book by witch hunters to, you know, enact some kind of magical process, then wouldn't it de facto become a grimoire? Well, that was the thing, too. That book that I brought up, The Name mm. Escapes Me, where it was one of the early collections of witchcraft lore, and it was kind of meant by the writer to um, make it appear foolish and frivolous in some way and to not lend any weight to it and to kind of degrade the Catholic Church for the part that it played in killing uh, so many of, of what the uh, writer considered to be innocent victims potentially practicing witchcraft, which was completely harmless, what ended up being the use of this book was much more in the witchcraft community, people trying to find remnants of spells and different mm-hmm. things. So, yeah. again, I think it's also the intent of the user that determines whether or not it's a grimoire. That's just how it seems to me. And a lot of magical working is about, ultimately, intent. There you go. That's pretty interesting. We have one more, uh, we have one more shout out today and that is from Michael. Michael says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Listen to it every week. Downloaded all the episodes from iTunes. Thank you, Michael. Have you ever thought about doing a video episode as in just having a camera in the studio set up and we can see what happens when you're doing the podcast? Can I please have a shout out? If you guys are ever in Brisbane, Australia, I can be your tour guide and you've always got a free room to stay in. Nice, Michael. I would say I kind of don't want to do that because I'd have to put a shirt on, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and you know I only podcast in the nude. The nude? In the nude. With a mint, with a mint julep. <laughs> a cold mint a julep in my hand. I do declare it's a bit hot for linens. Somebody's going to get so offended by us doing this. And we're totally just having fun with it because we're in Atlanta and we're we're Southern boys. Yeah. I don't think it's offensive. But somebody's going to be upset. Please don't be upset. If someone is offended by that, by that character that we're hatching up, then please send us an audio version of your complaint (laughs) and tell us how we should do the voice. Thank you to Michael. Thank you to Eric. And thank you to Miguel. This concludes this week's edition of. And before we get out of here, holy cow, you guys, we got some plugs to plug. Oh, want to get pluggy? Wow. We have one huge plug. Mm -hmm. We're doing it. We're doing it so big. We're going to New York City. New York City. That's what I said. Pace picante, TM. We're going April 8th to yep. New York City. As part of the uh, NY PodFest, we are going to be doing a live show uh, with a, a cavalcade of other uh, podcasters. And we would love it if you're in the area and want to come by and say hi. We're we're uh, I was going to say we're normal people. We're yeah. fun to hang out with. Sure. Yes. It's a fun thing, though. It's a three-day festival. Um, ticket info is available online at thebellhouseny.com. Um, and the events are uh, from the, I believe, the 6th. No, the 7th, which is a Friday through the 9th, a Sunday. And we are on Saturday, April 8th with uh, the Majority Report with Sam Cedar. Really looking forward to hanging out with Sam. Yeah, another great podcast that has – Pretty ancient roots in the podcasting and radio world. So check, you're definitely going to want to listen to that and watch that. And Uh, then, you know, we'll be there too. And Michael Ian Black's podcast is going to be there. Lore is going to be there. Yeah, Lore and Kevin um, McDonald. Kevin McDonald Mm -hmm. and a smattering of other podcast illuminaries. The Book of Yay, if you're into uh, Kanye West. 
Uh, so we're really excited to, we're really excited to be a part of this and we would, uh, would love to see you there. And if you can't make this one, write in and let us know where we should travel next. Cause apparently we've got a budget now for this kind of jazz. Watch out. Uh, just so I know here, it's $12 in advance if you buy your tickets now. If you want to wait till uh, you get to the door, it's going to be an extra three per and ticket. I, but I believe we get a solid hour. So you will get a live podcast from us and you also get to see uh, the majority report. Which and is, I, I think they let you drink during the show. Pretty true. sure. Yeah, it, it is 21 and up. If anyone's on the fence mm-hmm. about that. Uh, also unlimited high fives. <laughs> from Matt. From Matt. <laughs> uh, yes. So – that's our that's our show for this week. We've got a show coming up in April. And if you want to take a page from your fellow listeners book, uh, write to us and let us know what you think we should cover in the future, what you think about the state of mass surveillance, where you think we should go on tour or any of the other questions that we ask throughout this podcast. You can write to us directly on Facebook and Twitter where we are conspiracy stuff. Uh, check out some of those awesome and somewhat frightening pictures that noel has from washington dc on our instagram that was weird man uh, i'm not gonna not gonna wax too poetic about it but it was just like walking around in a weird foggy gray dream uh and i hope that the pictures reflect that so let me know hey and guys also if you're interested i've re- i've started getting into glitch art i've been glitching out videos and making weird music to it uh they're kind of weird and reflective and meditative in a sort of disturbing way so if you're interested in seeing any of that hit us up and we'll maybe we'll post some you have you should post some right now the one you just showed me maybe i will And if none of that quite stirs your julep, you can write to us directly via the old email and say hi to whatever poor unfortunate NSA intern has to read it. We are Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.